I have a new tent. I'm really excited about this new tent. This is a new tent. And the reason I'm excited about my new tent is because I'm traveling across Iowa again this summer. And I love gadgets. And I like gadgets that can really help me. And the reason I like this tent is because it comes in this little circular device. And when you do this bike ride across Iowa, it's called Ragbri. The newspaper in Des Moines, Iowa, called the Register, the Register's annual great bike ride across Iowa. You're traveling about 80 miles every day. And at the end of every day, you're exhausted. And I don't want to, I don't want to spend a half hour putting a tent up and putting taking a tent down in the morning and then getting on the road for 80 miles and being exhausted. And because this is the 50th, um, right, right, not a race, but ride across Iowa where you go about 500 miles, this is going to be packed. And all the tent services are booked. So I had to go out and I'm gonna, I had to get my own tent. And I got it um, so that I and Nick Maldonado, who's going to be going with me, is we're going to have these tents so that we can just break, break camp really quickly and get set up very quickly. Amazingly, this is called a two-second tent. And if anyone wants to see it, you can come to my house because I need more practice. I will pull this out and I will show you how I can pull that out and boom, and it's set up like that. And then you go on the inside and you pull this string and it takes about 30 seconds to fold up and then maybe another 30 seconds to put into the container. I am excited. The reason I'm talking about this new pop-up tent is because the reality of it is, is do you know that God talks about the fact that we live in tents? The Bible calls our bodies tents. And there's a passage there, 2 Peter 1.13, but I wanted to read, I wanted to read the passage that says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I don't know if you ever think about your body as a tent. Second Peter, um, verses 1, 13 to 14 says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling. And the word for dwelling there is like a more elaborate tent, like the tabernacle tent, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly in essence, tent is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Look, I like my tent. I can even say maybe I love my tent, all right? I really am excited about my tent. You should have been there when I set it up in our living room. Becky just loved that, all right? But the reality of it is, in my tent, my pop-up tent, I don't want to live in a tent for a long time. I can go out and... I. I'll be, in essence, camping for seven days. And some of you have done that. But there's no electricity. There's no central air. And even with the big tent, over time, it becomes cramped. Over time, if I just lived in it constantly, it would get tears and rips. How apropos that we look at our bodies, and they're the exact same thing, that basically these tents wear down, and these tents become old, and these tents don't hold up. And if anyone can... If you're honest and you do an evaluation of your life, 
the reality of it is, is that we are all, we are all breaking down because our bodies break down. Our tents are breaking down. Now, when you study the word tent in scripture, it's used 79 times. I thought it was fascinating that it's used that many times. There's been some theological subjects that we've studied that have only been used 20, 25 times. Why is a tent used that often? Well, the majority of the times the word tent is used in scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, whether it's a Hebrew or Greek word. It's mainly about where you dwell. And I think that there are some really neat passages like the ones I just read in 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter. But here's a passage I want you to always remember. Psalm 84, verse 10. I'll just read it. Many of you, this is one of your favorite verses. And I don't know if you ever thought of it. It deals with a tent. Psalm 84, verse 10 says, for a day, speaking to God, if you're giving praise to God, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So the idea is your tent is where you dwell. We live in this body, and our body doesn't age well. It gets tears. It breaks down. It gets to the point of not being <laughs> repairable. So even if you like to live in a tent, you know, you're, you're in these tents that aren't good. And here's the problem with our tent. Our tent can only go in this world, right? Right now, these bodies. And this world is a lousy campground. The present world is a lousy campground because you've got litter, crime, you've got predators like bears, you've got all kinds of bad situations. If you look at our present world as the worst campground, you've got decay, you've got, you've got um, curses, death, predators, weather problems, evil people, food shortages, economic problems, education problems, water problems, evil powerful elites, health problems, all of these, all of these are the problems. Some people think, oh, if I could just move, I can find peace. I could. You're never gonna find anywhere. You can't go anywhere in this world to find peace. You can't, this world has no peace. This is a lousy campground. And the reason I want you to understand this is because God wants us to recognize that we're getting better tents, we're getting bodies that are perfect, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're getting a better campground. There's a better world coming, and that is heaven. Heaven is when God brings heaven to earth and we live on earth forever. And what I want you to do, and I want you to think about as we turn to Revelation 21, I want us to, coming to a passage where we're studying about heaven, and I want you to start thinking about how much you really long for this new world with a new tent and a new campground. How much do you long for heaven? I ran across this quote from John MacArthur and I thought it was so apropos to read because we live in a culture where our culture is constantly telling us to be happy and content with the campground that we got and how to constantly improve our tents, how to constantly improve our bodies as if we can come and we can finally get the body that's going to last well past the age of 100, right? And Listen to this quote. MacArthur says, Throughout the history of the church, God's people rightly have been preoccupied with heaven. They've longed for its joys because they've been only loosely tied to this earth. They have seen themselves as strangers and exiles on the earth who desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Hebrews 11. Sadly, this is no longer true for many in today's church. Caught up in society's mad rush for instant gratification, material comfort, Narcissistic indulgence, the church has become worldly. Nothing more graphically demonstrates that 
worldliness than the current lack of interest in heaven. The church doesn't sing or preach much about heaven. Believers seldom discuss it. Songs are no longer written about it. And books about heaven are few and far between. Believers who do not have heaven on their minds trivialize their lives, hinder the power of the church, and become absorbed with the fading things of this world. The Bible makes it clear that believers are to focus on heaven. In Philippians 3.20, Paul notes that our citizenship is in heaven. To the Colossians, he wrote, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Colossians 3. A heavenly perspective is vital, especially, especially since everything connected to a believer's spiritual life and destiny is there, is there. Our study today is about heaven, and I want you to long for it. My hope is that you no longer settle for this tent as if this is the final body that you're going to reside in. It's not. And this is not the final campground where there's a better campground. And my hope is that you become so heavenly minded that it impacts you to worship and serve in a far more effective way. You know, as I've said before, that line, he's so heavenly minded he's no earthly good is an incredible lie if you do it right if you are so heavenly minded you will be very effective on earth and i want us to understand it so today as we've been talking about doing a jet tour we are going to really do a jet tour today we're doing the entire 21st chapter okay and i'm going to do it in a way that's really unusual for me i'm just going to summarize the chapter in five descriptions, okay, so that we'll get through it. But here we are. We've been studying the book of Revelation. We've gone through the present church age. We've gone through the, the, the tribulation, the thousand-year reign. And last time we studied the final judgment, the white, great white throne judgment. Here's where we're at. We're at the eternal state. So let me read Revelation 21, okay? And when we talk about heaven, it's really the eternal state because, remember, Heaven comes to earth, and we live on earth. That's missed by a lot of people. But I'll keep calling it heaven, as Paul even said, our citizenship is in heaven. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And here's one of the, I can't tell you how many times I've read verse 4 in a hospital to somebody who's been dying, somebody who's just gone through a tragedy. Verse 4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will long, no longer be any death, there no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cause. Verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and moral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke 
with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and holy mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. From that point on, we're going to describe Jerusalem. And then you pick up in verse 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city, verse 23, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the, and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go through... We're going to go through a series of descriptions. And what I want to just have you remember these descriptions and contemplate them and make, the, make this so appetizing that this is going to impact you. And it's going to impact the way then you treat your spouse or you talk to your neighbor, the way you even think about life. And I truly believe the more you think like this, the less frustrated you are. You tell me somebody that's been frustrated this week, someone that's gotten maybe angry, someone that's gotten all worked up, they've been focused on this earth. People who focus on heaven don't. Number one, heaven is a new and improved state. The key word is new. When we look at this chapter, new is emphasized. Look at verse one, I knew heaven, and then a new earth. We jump down to verse two, it's a new Jerusalem. Everything about this is new. When you talk about the idea of new, it's something that didn't exist before. Now, there's times like we have products, like we wash our clothes, we have a Tide. There's a product called Tide, and it'll come a new and improved Tide, okay? And then in reality, that old Tide, the, 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 it didn't exist before that, however the chemicals were. And, and, and so that idea is it's something that's never existed before. And, and then we also have like, like a new product, like a new car. I remember years ago, they didn't have a Lexus. And all of a sudden, the new car comes out, new car, new Lexus, all right? Well, this is the idea. I believe when we come to the new universe, it's a, a universe that's existed but before, but it's going to be transformed. And there are many people who think this present universe is going to be the one that's going to be changed over. And that's a possibility. It's a biblical view. People think that. I am of the case that when 2 Peter talks about all the elements being melted, I truly believe God is going to hold all of us back who are believers, and he's going to allow us to rewatch creation. And this is where we come in, and all of a sudden now we've got this new, we've got this new earth, new heaven, new Jerusalem. And, and you've got to look at verse 4. It's so new and improved. Why is it improved? Because there's no more pain. I mean, I can't imagine being in a place where somehow all the pain that I've existed with, and I can tell you, every one of you, because I know you're human, all right, is the reality of this. Every one of us have had painful childhoods, painful young lives, painful adulthood. I recently told some young people at the college and career group, listen, one of the things you've got to recognize is life is going to be painful. I, can't, I wish I could take it away. But can you imagine an existence where there's no more pain? It is something that's even hard to grasp. It's almost hard to believe. But look at verse 4. If verse 4 is true, 
every tear from your eyes, no longer any death, no longer any mourning. The idea of no death, the reality of it is, and I alluded to this last week, where death was defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. We've all known nothing but death. Million years, billion years, we're gonna think, what in the world is death? We're not gonna know anyone that dies from this point forward. This is the new heaven and the new earth. And this is why I wanna say it's so improved, okay? So like I say, products come out and they're new improved all the time. And you say, wow, it is better. It's a better product. But have you ever thought that a product would come out and then all of a sudden you'd say, it can never be improved? <laughs> you know, this is the best car. And they, they can never add anything to it. They can never add better tires. They can never add a better interior. They can never add anything that make this a better ride. They can never make this a better detergent. They can never make this a better product. We're gonna be in this earth and it is going to be a situation where there's never gonna say, wow, I wish that something better was here. I mean, that is unfathomable. But that is what God wants us to see as he's closing out his Bible. We get to the second to the last chapter of the Bible. We come and there's this concept, new, 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 new. I mean, and, and what we want to see is it's guaranteed. Look at verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, all things. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Why did he say, Write these things? Because these are faithful and true. Because these are guaranteed. This is something you can count on. This is something you go to the bank with using all those expressions. It is something that I want you to contemplate. If I have to give you application, try to think about being in a situation where nothing ever needs improved. It is the best campground ever, and you have the best tent. Your body will never break, break down. I mean, one of the things I shared with you last week about playing in that softball game, and I was thinking to myself, I haven't played competitive softball for 27 years. I mean, I still think, oh, I, I, I still think sometimes I'm young, but I'm not. And the reality of it is, and the reality of for all of us is our bodies break down. And when you're in this state, we will never break down. We will never have to say, you know, I've gotten to the point, I've gotten to the age where I can't do what I used to do. It's so frustrating. I can tell you, as I'm only going to be 62 this year, the reality of it is, is to be unable to do the things that you used to be able to do. We will never have to face that. How could we sit and think that we are content with this world? I long for heaven. I want you to long for heaven. I want you to think about the fact that God is going to be there and God is going to govern it. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. This is in the sense like where we know God, the Holy Spirit is around us all the time. God is actually there. What an incredible reality. No longer do we walk by faith. I love that verse at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that goes about with love, and it talks about now abide in faith, hope, and love. And I always challenge people, why is love considered the greatest compared to faith and hope? Why is love better than faith and hope? Is because when we are in heaven, we no longer need the hope, we no longer need faith. Think about that. Contemplate that reality, because God is there. It's new and improved. Here we go next. It is an incredible world. And what I want, whoops. It, it is an incredible world. Heaven is an incredible and unsurpassed in what it contains. Now, I, some of these overlap, but I wanted you to understand 
when we come and we look at this chapter, not only is it new and improved, but it is, it is absolutely incredible. The idea, the definition of incredible, it's astounding, it, it's exemplary, it's above average. That, God didn't just say, I'm putting you in a new campground and it's gonna be average. It's gonna be something like we can't even begin to imagine the greatness of it. And, and there's stuff that I, you know, I struggle with. I look at verse one. I don't know how often I've looked over the 30 some years I've been a believer, 35 years. What do you mean there's no sea? I mean, <laughs> I, I've, however, you know, people wanna think, well, maybe that's the sea of humanity. I, I do think it's the oceans. I, I think somehow as the new world is created, there's gonna be an ecosystem, uh, a system where there's no longer the need for the oceans as to keeping the hydration going in the planet. I think we're not gonna have the massive seas. Now, maybe we're gonna have something a little bit different, but you know, I always thought, you know, if, if I had to go into a business, wouldn't it be cool if you went and, and, I, and I trained a whale and we'd, we'd have Mike's Jono's ride, and, and you'd come and this, a whale would take you down, swallow you up and take you around for a while. Wouldn't that be fun? Okay. There's no sea though. There's no sea. But when that, we talk about the idea of that, which is incredible, you look at the, the fact that not only you got this new city, you've got New Jerusalem, you've got the idea of this new earth, but when this city comes down, verse 10, it is so big, and I know that we haven't read it yet. Let me just read verses 15 to 17. Verse 15 says, and the one who spoke with me, this is an angel speaking to John, who had a gold measuring rod to measure the city. Look, even rulers are <laughs> made out of gold, all right? Um, measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. And he measures the city with a rod, 1,500 miles in length and width and height are equal. Now, in my Bible, that, that, the, the, I think it's like stadia or whatever. They translate it and they, obviously they put the, the equivalent in so that we understand it in English, uh, in our contemporary American language. It is 1,500 miles, okay, square. Some people think it's, a tri, it's like a pyramid. I don't, I don't, I think, I do think it's like a, a, like a, a giant square and it's two thirds the size of America. Two thirds the size of America. That's how big this city is. And then as we go on, you know, it says, and he measured the wall, verse 17, and, you know, 17, 72 yards um, according to, and I love this line. This is probably one of the most f funny, hilarious lines, I think, in the Bible because it just sounds funny to me, but it, he's just trying to let us know. And he says, it's according to human measurements, which are the same as angelic measurements. And I don't know if somebody like would have come around and said, you know, oh no, you know, those are angel measurements and it's not gonna be the same. And it's like, God says, okay, I'll take care of this thing just in case somebody complains or does something like that. I want you to know what I'm saying is if it's 1500 miles square, it's gonna be the same the way an angel would look at it. And, and, and then you go down to verse 21 and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. I mean, we're talking giant gates. If you've got a wall that is like 72 yards and you've got these giant gates, we're not talking the tiny little pearl that goes into a clam today. We are talking a massive pearl and there's 12 of them. I mean, that's gonna be unfathomable. And the idea is, is that, that there's no night. Look at this, verse 22. And I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty are, uh, and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need 
of the sun or the moon, the shining it, for the glory of the Lord has, has illumined it, and, and its lamp is the lamb, okay? The idea, look, we all love our sleep. Somehow our bodies are going to be changed so that we don't even have to sleep. Isn't that amazing? And, and the idea is, like, I always feel like, for me, I always catch my second wind around 11 o'clock, and that's the problem. <laughs> it's God has a sense of humor between who gets married, you know, just as a side note, if you're getting married, it's always you're going to find something drastically opposite. Well, my wife likes to go to bed around 11 o'clock and go to sleep, and when she hits the pillow, boom, she's out. Man, it's 11 o'clock, boom, I'm up, and I can be up to 1 o'clock, and, and I just, woo. I just think this is going to be so much fun for me to never have to go to sleep, okay? And I want you to think about it. It's an incredible world. It's unsurpassed in what it contains. We constantly have the light on. God's glow is there. And then verse 22, Jesus is the temple. I mean, look, I've been to some beautiful places in this world. Maybe you have as well. I've been to places like the Grand Canyon. And when you stand for the first time on the edge of the canyon and you look across it, you're in awe. I remember just being in absolute awe for two hours. And I can remember going to Hawaii and being taken to some waterfalls that only the locals knew. And, and we were just blown away by the beauty of those waterfalls. I've been to the Pacific Ocean and just stood on that beach and just looked and watched the waves come for hours. I don't know if you've done that as well. I've gone to the Atlantic Ocean. I've, got, I've had the privilege of going to the Indian Ocean, and there's white, beautiful, sandy beaches. You can look up and down the coast for miles and just think, this is absolutely gorgeous. Whatever I have seen, whatever you have seen in this world, it is always going to be incredible when we come to this new world and what it's going to happen. You're always going to say, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. Light is here. This is, this, is, this is an incredible city. And what I want you to do is start focusing on that world. If I have to give application, focus on this. Think about it. Dwell upon it. Contemplate it. Remember, and, and you would say this is tied to a reward. But do you know, as Paul talks about, one of the rewards that believers have are those who love the return of Jesus Christ. Because that, for us, kicks this whole process off. How are, are you going to get one of those rewards? And the only way you can do it is you're longing for heaven. You know, there's no command in this passage other than the description, what heaven is all about. And he wants you to long for it. Now, as we continue on, what I want you to understand, heaven is an historical place linked to mankind's past. And what am I saying by that is when, by historical, it's tied to this world. And, and I think that's good because we're going to, have our memory so we're no longer going to feel pain. And however we um, are, are changed in the sense where we're not living with constant remorse and sadness over what we've gone through, there's still though a reality that this new world will be tied to what we have. Look at the very fact that we're using terms like heaven and earth, the very fact that we're using Jerusalem, the very fact that you have in verse 9 this concept of a bride. Well, we're, we're, you know, come, let me look at a, a bride. We're going to be able to grasp that. So I don't know what language, and that's always a big debate. What language are we going to be? Some people think we're going to speak Hebrew. Some people think maybe we'll keep our own language, and everyone's going to be able to hear us like with the gift of tongues. I don't know. I, I really don't know. God never tells us exactly what language that we're going to have. But the idea is, is that when we, we look at, the, like, even the stones, 
you jump up to where, where is it, verse 19? Yeah, in verse 19, he starts going through the stones. And, um, and those stones, like you have a sapphire, um, you've got jasper, you've got, in verse 20, you've got um, sardonyx, and you've got sardis and beryl, okay? All of these different stones. Well, those are stones that are tied to this present world. And, and I think he's using these names because these concepts of these names will be used. Pearls will be the same. And we'll say, oh, that's a pearl. It's not all of a sudden we're going to come and we're going to realize, wow, things are totally so far different that it's not tied to anything that we can relate to. The very fact, I think, the fact that we have 12 tribes of Israel. Look at verse 12. Um, and it talks about, well, there's these angels that are guarding the gates, which are at every gate. But then at the end of verse 12, it talks about the 12 sons of Israel. So there, the idea that we would recognize the 12 sons of Israel. So those would be all historical. And then you go down to verse, was it 14? Yeah, yeah, verse 14. It says, and the wall of the city had the 12 um, foundation stones. On them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And we'll finally figure out if the apostle Paul is the 12th apostle. All right, that'll be something to think about. But all of this is historical. Now listen, if I had to illustrate this, the reality is what I'm trying to communicate to you is like we all go on vacation. And when we go on vacation, we're gone for a week or two weeks, however, if you ever get to go longer. But I can tell you, most everybody I know, after a long time of vacation, it comes to the point, I want to go home. I want to have some familiarity. I want to have my old routine. I think it's, I don't, I think it's great that God has let us know that there's going to be some familiarity it's not going to just, everything is going to be so foreign. I mean, the idea that there's even going to be streets. And again, the idea of streets of gold, right? So that which is considered so valuable in our world is just paving material in the world to come. You got to contemplate it. You got to think. But God is putting the best of the best of the best. But, you know, the reality of it is, is it's just going to become normal for us. But it is still streets. And my point is, we're not esoteric beings just floating around in the sky. There's not going to be this thing where we're sitting on clouds and playing harps. Like so many unbelievers criticize us. Oh, that's all you guys think you're going to go to heaven and just play harps. You know, yes, there are people who play harps in heaven. I got that. And there are verses that people get twisted. But heaven is a real place, and it is with humanity. And these bodies that we have are the bodies that are going to be played out. So what do you do with this? Ultimately, do not be afraid to leave this present world. Think about it. This is, you know, this is not your home. That you're only passing through. And some people live as if this is their home. They think this is all there is. And if you do that, you're failing at life. The reality of it is, is this is only temporary. Nobody would go to an amusement park and set up a tent in the amusement park and say, this is where I'm making my homestead. Well, we are in uh, this world. It's a temporary place. It's a temporary campground. And we're in temporary tents. And, 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 it, and the reality of it is, is we have to start thinking about heaven more. And here's where it kind of gets interesting because heaven is a place occupied by overcomers from this world. And I want you to look at verse 7. If, I'm, if we're looking and describing heaven... It's interesting that God could, could have said, and all the wonderful believers and all the wonderful people who have trusted me are there. But instead, he says, look, verse 7, 
And he who overcomes will inherit these things. Inherit, like we talk about someone dies and they leave you an inheritance. Who's getting this? this is what, that's just another way. Who's getting this? And he uses the word overcomers. The overcomer is the Greek word Nike. Nike, Nike is uh, a noun form. The victors. Guess who's on the outside? Losers. Okay? And the comparison we're going to look at in the second, he doesn't straight away call them unbelievers. He calls them cowards. But let's first talk about the victors. The victors are the people who have overcome this world. It's a key word here. It's a key word throughout the New Testament. We're going to do a study, our next book study, where we are going to again go word by word, verse by verse, is the book of 1 John. So maybe you want to start reading ahead. But if you want to read the book of 1 John, you're going to see the word overcomer over and over and over because it describes a believer, a person that basically overcomes the world. They basically, when it's, hey, do I choose the world? Do I choose God? Do I go for what the world is dangling or do I go for what God says to do and I'm gonna defer any, any gratification now? The world is constantly pulling you and from a human perspective, Yes, a person who places their faith in Jesus Christ, because this is the gospel, okay, who believe they're a sinner, that believe that Jesus is God and man, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins. When he rose from the dead, it showed that the payment was paid. But when we talk about the fact that by grace you were saved through faith, it's not of yourself. Faith is not just a one-time act. It's a lifetime act. Faith is something where you commit to something. This is why we talk about the concept of lordship, salvation, I, I, no one earns their way to heaven. Nobody gets, does good things and they, God says, now you earned. But the person that is someone that is faithful makes the choices that shows that they believe. A person who says, I believe, but never comes to church is a liar, God says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. The person that says that they, they trust God and yet they're constantly getting drunk and constantly doing drugs and constantly never coming to church and constantly never serving, they are the ones that are the losers. They haven't overcome anything. They continue to live for the world. And this is what we need to let people know because the reality of it is we all have friends and we all have people who church is nothing but something they clock in and clock out and you never see them serve. You never see them live holy. There's nothing in it for them that really transforms their lives. What they are maybe for an hour on Sunday has nothing to do with the rest of the afternoon, let alone the rest of the week. They haven't overcome anything. I find it fascinating. Look at the verse, next verse but for that cowardly. Why doesn't he go directly into unbelievers? Because the cowards are the people when it comes to standing up for Jesus Christ, putting a line in the sand, they basically say, no, I'm not going to do that. And and he could have said quitters or something less, but he uses cowards. A coward is a person who's a chicken, a person who's afraid. You know, we see this all the time in military movies and military concepts where the idea is that there's a battle raging on and somebody gets all of a sudden afraid and you feel for him like, hey, who wants to be shot at? Who wants to have bullets and bombs flying around them? But the reality of it is, is if you're a soldier, and which ironically God calls us as believers on a regular basis that this is the way we have to think of ourselves. He calls us soldiers. You're not allowed to back down. And, 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 and a person that does is a coward. We recently had a school shooting where some military or some, some men were on the outside of that school while the gunman was inside. 
And we found out some of them were policemen and they had guns and they didn't go in. And, and everyone said, like, you cowards. And one, I think, policeman ended up getting fired because he had his gun and he went away from the scene instead of helping the children. You say, you coward. Now listen, if that policeman went in and got shot and he could have been killed, he could have lost. But he would have been a hero. He would have been an overcomer. Do you understand? When you go and you witness and all of a sudden your boss doesn't give you a promotion, you're looking at this and saying, from God's perspective, you're a hero. But if you continually keep your mouth shut, you are a coward. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't call them unbelievers first. He calls them cowards. And we live in a world of cowards, of people who call themselves Christians, and they just don't stand up for Jesus Christ. They don't make the choices of doing the right thing when no one else is looking. And this is what I want to stir in your hearts because I'm not saying who gets into heaven. God says overcomers. But verse 8, the cowardly. And then he goes into the list, the unbelieving. Okay? Unbelieving. Okay, I got it. You're not trusting in Jesus Christ. So now he hits it. But then he goes on to this long list. People who are murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters. And it always hits me. One of the things that hits me so hard is this line. Liars. People who don't tell the truth. And, And one of the things that has hit me in my 62 years as I've gotten older is the fact that I cannot believe the number of liars I've come across. People who lie, 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 lie. They lie about anything. And you say, where have you been? And they lie about that. And what have you done? And they lie about that. And they, what are you going to do? And they lie about that. And I tell people, and I want you to understand, someone says, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a thief, but you're a liar. And all you do is lie. And I want you to understand, it's not an accident that God repeats this. He's going to repeat it again, that I don't want liars. It is the heart of Satan, right? John 8, that your father, as Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, is the father of lies. Satan is a liar. And and, and we need to get people to understand when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit resides in you, there is a sense where you just cannot dwell with lies. Truth is coming out not only in the fact of, of what the Bible is all about, but in what you say and what you do. You become a truth teller. You know, and it doesn't mean we become bold and and, and, you know, Becky and I were talking to go up to a woman and say, oh, boy, does your dress look ugly? Oh, does your hair look horrible? Or you did this, and you're always rebuking people left and right because we are told that we have to do things in love. I got, and I want you to understand that. I, I, I want you to grasp that concept, but I don't want you to be a liar, and I don't want you to have any of these traits. Now, God tells us, like in First Corinthians 9, which talks about the long list of sexual sins, and he talks about the fact that you once were, but you were washed. If any of you committed any of these sins, and all of us have lied, by God's grace, we can come and we get forgiveness. And that's the heart of a true believer. But we don't practice it, we don't continue it, and that's what's gonna come out in our first John study, that you don't continue to live like a liar. You don't continue to be that kind of person. Well, I want you to understand heaven is occupied by an overcomer. And so ask yourself right now, honestly, am I an overcomer? Ask yourself, have you overcome the world? Because the reality of it is, is is that only believers get in. Only overcomers get in. 
Now, when I was younger, it was like, <laughs> there were these nightclubs, and this is a worldly illustration, but it, it's something I continue to see where it becomes very popular uh, club or restaurant, and people try to get in, and there's a bouncer, and he tries to decide who gets in and who gets out, and maybe you've even seen maybe a movie or TV show where people are all lined up, and a lot of times it's young people, and they're all dressed up to the nines or whatever, and they're trying to get in, and the guy's walking down the line, and he says, you get in, you get in, you get in. Only the elite get in. Well, the reality of it is, is this is a great illustration. Only the elite get into heaven. But here's the thing. The elite are anyone that dies to self and comes to Jesus Christ. And that's what the reality of it is, is only the elite get in through Jesus Christ. And the people who are the elite are anyone that denies themselves, picks up their cross and dies daily. This is where you, you know, I just don't want anyone to be surprised. Oh, I come to church every Sunday. So what? You, you don't live for God Monday through Saturday, and really Sunday afternoon, it's totally different. Listen, I just want you not to be surprised come Judgment Day. Only people who get in are overcomers. Only people who get in are overcomers. Well, lastly, what I want you to think about is that heaven is a sin-free, crime-free, and evil place, evil, <laughs> evil-free place forever. Because I just thought it was so interesting if he's wrapping up this chapter, and you look at verse 24, and it talks about the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So there's a sense where some people think these nations are just Gentiles, and people are going in and out. I really do think there's a, I think we're going to be surprised how great and large the new earth is, how God is going to be expanding the universe. And I take a passage like this, and I do think it's nations, because he talks about kings. So I don't think it's just Gentiles being used for that word. And he says in verse 25, um, in the daytime, for there will be no night in its gates, will never be closed. The idea of the gates never being closed is that you never have to guard it. You never have to bring, put protection in, okay? Um, and, and they will bring the glory, um, and uh, they will bring their glory and the honor of the nations into it and here's the kicker verse 27 and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and there it is again oh gee lying shall ever and come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life and we talked about the lamb's book of life last week but this is the reality is this is incredible there is there is no evil See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. That's kind of cute, right? The idea of the three monkeys and, you know. You know, in illustration, I think this is what the world longs for. There's a really blasphemous song that, that uh, was written many years ago by John Lennon of the Beatles, and I've quoted it before in, in the sense uh, of using it from similar to this regard, the song Imagine. And it's blasphemous, because of the way it talks about no heaven, no God, no hell below, right? So imagine. And yet, every once in a while, you'll catch that song, and believers will be like coming along with it. And the world loves that song too. But why would believers sing it? Well, because it's not the fact that we don't want a heaven above or, you know, because we want the heaven above. We, you know, we believe there's a God above, and we believe there's a hell below, but why? Because the reality of what that song really touches to me, 
And the reason it becomes so popular is people just want peace. They just want to be able to let their guard down. And, and, and you know, I, I've told a few people, and I wasn't planning on telling this, but last night, I, I could have died last night. I could have been seriously injured because I biked here last night to the church. I was here from like two to six o'clock, and as I was biking home, something, I, I went, we, we call it the Snyder Trail, the, the hill that goes over, and I was going on over 165th, and when I was at the top of 165th, I looked down, and there were a whole bunch of kids playing, and then they all scattered. So, not hill, but I was on the, the bike bridge, and as I started to go down, I recognized that the kids all ran, and I thought, that's kind of weird, and I love to go down the hill about 25 miles an hour, because you can go about 25 miles an hour, and then you can go for another mile and coast. It's really cool. And we call it the Snyder Trail because the Snyders used to live close to that. But something inside me said, Mike, watch, look out. And sure enough, these kids had laid a pole across the, the bike path, um, an, like an, a, a stop sign um, pole. And if I would have hit that at 25 miles an hour, I definitely would have eaten pavement. I would have went flying. I could have been very, very seriously injured. And I just thank God. I, I, I thank God that I was saved. But that's maybe how you guys feel too. You, just, you feel like you can never let your guard down. You can't, you gotta sometimes lock your house, lock your car doors, look over your shoulders, wonder if somebody comes and they're gonna try and do a deal with you. Are they gonna scam you? Are they gonna try to cheat you? There's gonna be no evil, no evil anywhere around. Isn't that gonna be something to dwell upon? I mean, the, the reality of it is, and I wanted you to think about this because, you know, those guys look cute. But my hope and my desire is that by teaching about this, that there's going to be a desire, greater desire for you to walk in the spirit, for you to want to serve, for you to want to be in God's word. Because the reality of it is, is right now, there's no need, to, when you get to heaven, there's no need to fear ever. Because first of all, there's no man eating lion. The Bible talks about the fact that the Satan, and we look at him as a hierarchy, is roaring around this world like a lion. It's a man-eating lion. Now, if you walked out of this church right now and you're leaving and you're getting into your cars and all of a sudden, because you're walking in the spirit, but maybe your kids aren't or, you're, you know, or, or your spouse isn't, and you watch them be torn up by a lion, man, every time you, you went somewhere, you'd say, hey, everybody, let's make sure we're in the spirit. Let's make sure we're in the word. Let's make sure we're prayed up. Because the reality of it is, is you would see enough horror. And if you guys were all walking in the spirit and you went down to the you know, local grocery store and you're in there shopping and all of a sudden that lion's going through and you watch, it dev- watch the lion devour uh, one of the customers in the store and the store could be sued or something. The reality of it is like you say, man, I'm just so thankful. We've got the guard of the Holy Spirit. We've got this focus where the Holy Spirit, this force field. And I know I'm making this up. But the reality of it is, is you would, you would recognize, wow, this is great uh, I, I, because I'm protected. And this is why it's so important to be born again because only born again believers have the protection from, from, from the lion. But even more so, there is a TV show, and I'm just using this, I'm not, this is obscure. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a, about zombies and things like that in the sense of the walking dead. Every unbeliever, according to Ephesians chapter two, is the walking dead. And in zombie movies today, if they bite you, you become poisoned and you become like them. Well, think about it. 
Think of the reality, and, and, and I don't even know in this room right now who are the walking dead. Because if you're an unbeliever, you are not spiritually alive. And the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and, and unbelievers, we're going to blow off church. Unbelievers, we're going to say things that doesn't, it's, it's not godly. We're, and, and if that gets into your mind, if you don't have the spiritual grid from which to protect yourself, the walking dead who are all around us, the world is passing away and also it's lust. These people of the world are going to take you down because it's their, what they want to do. You watch these zombie movies and the zombies never just stick around and say, hey, let's play in our zombie land. They don't just stay there. They're always zombie going around. Well, that's the reality. Zombies are always on the lookout for who they can take down with them. And that is, uh, to me, a perfect illustration and you need to think about this. You need to think about the fact that you need to be in the spirit. You need to be, of, uh, be a born-again believer, walking in the spirit, and have God's word filtering through you because the world is constantly, constantly going to try to bring you down. All right. We have a lousy tent. We have a lousy campground. And my passion for you is to long for heaven. We need a new tent. We need a new campground. We need a campground where there's no lions, no predators. We need a campground where there's no walking dead. We need a campground that's permanent. And I want to challenge you to quit putting all your effort into a broken down tent in a broken down world. Long for heaven. Heaven is new and improved. Heaven is incredible and unsurpassed. Heaven is an historical place, so it's not going to be like everything is going to be so foreign to you. But heaven is only occupied by overcomers. Are you an overcomer? Heaven is sin-free, crime-free, evil-free forever. So I'm asking you, long for heaven. Study about heaven. Serve, study, pray, walk in the Spirit. Because while we're in this world, it's not a good campground. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for letting us know what's coming. You have a, there's so much we don't know about heaven, as much as we went through these descriptions. And there's so much detail more we could have gone into, but there's more to come. And I just pray, God, that we as a church are strong because we're focusing on heaven. In Christ's name, I ask now, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, God, that they're thinking, I need to be there. I need to become an overcomer. May they turn from their sin right now and commit to Jesus Christ. They don't need to walk an aisle. They need to necessarily say a prayer, but maybe they commit to you, God, in belief. In Christ's name, amen.